Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome to another episode of Business Black Belts. I'm David Golding. I am here with Philip Berman, owner and CEO of Balance Catamarans. How are you today, Philip? I'm good. Thanks so much for uh, joining me. Why don't we just start at the beginning? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in Newport Beach, California. I was born in 1956. And uh, in my early years in Newport, uh, we lived above the Newport Harbor. And so I was always fascinated by boats and sailing. And I self-taught myself how to sail when I was 10 years old. And but I was always, for some reason or other, kind of an entrepreneurial little kid, and I had three paper routes. And uh, I saw a catamaran, a small catamaran in the yard of one of my uh, customers one day. And I said, gee, I, I love that boat. I, I'd love to own something like that. And, and he says, well, listen, Grammy, uh, I'll, I'll sell you that boat for, you know, it was $900 or something like that. And, and then I had my bar mitzvah, so I took the money from my bar mitzvah plus my paper route thing. And I bought this crazy catamaran. Okay. And it was called a Hobie cat. Turns out that I was on the ground floor of what became the most popular sailboat in the world at mm. the time. But just, I mean, and I ended up meeting Hobie and, and, and early surfing legends and all these people. Cause I was the youngest kid that had one of these little boats. And I, I grew up with these people. Um, and the, the sort of sad thing was that about a year and a half later, my stepmother came down with leukemia and she slowly died by the time I got into my first year of high school. And so I watched that whole process. And so, you know, as a kid, you, you know, you watch somebody dying and, you know, it really, it impacts you, you know, significantly like, well, if somebody's dying, it forces you to think about, well, how do you live and what's important and why is life important? And also, if you can die at any moment, how should you live your life? And so at a pretty early age, I started asking those, you know, those deeper, I suppose, philosophical questions that, you know, uh, occur. And then on top of it all, my father came down with colon cancer about three and a half years later, my senior year of high school. And then he died very quickly over a seven month period. And, you know, when you're a kid and, and you're watching this happen, you know, it was it's pretty painful, obviously, but I was still racing these sailboats and that was kind of my joy in life. The one thing that kind of kept me sane, but then because my father was dying, I was worried about how am I going to make a living? So I was worried about two things. How am I going to live, but how am I going to make a living? And I decided somebody ought to write a book on racing catamarans. And so I started working on this book when I was in my senior year of high school and my dad was dying because I figured I better figure out how to make some money. So I've always had this sort of dual uh, entrepreneurial, but also spiritual thing going on in my life about wanting to make sure that I'm living my life in the most meaningful fashion possible. And, and yet at the same time, I've, I've always had to make, make it on my own. I've had to earn my own, my own keep. And fortunately that book was very successful and I was able to put myself through, you know, the university of California undergrad and, and then, uh, I kept racing catamarans and then I won the Hobie Cat World Championships when I was, well, I was like my, I suppose I, it was my junior year of, of, of college. 
And then I wrote some more books and then they just kept selling because I was a world champion. And soon enough, my, I didn't have money problems. And uh, which is the great thing about being an entrepreneur. Oftentimes money doesn't solve every problem, but it certainly solves a lot of problems. Yeah, It's always nice to have when you need it. And so it enabled me to uh, decide to go off to the Harvard Divinity School to study the philosophy of religion because I hadn't had my fill. I wanted to keep studying and I had the revenue and the income to do it. Um, and I went off to do that. And I would say that the impact that that had on my life, those really literally almost six years of training in philosophy and religion, both at the University of California and at the Harvard Divinity School, had a profound effect on me because, well, the three important things happen. A, you think a lot about life and its meaning and the deeper questions in a very deep way um, to where ethics becomes very important. And you find yourself surrounded by a lot of, if I could use the word, highly realized people. And then at Harvard, you know, they have the Center for the Study of World Religions and, you know, you're meeting uh, contemplative monks, you're meeting, uh, you know, Trappist monks, Buddhist monks, you're meeting uh, Christian scholars, you're meeting uh, Jewish theologians. I mean, it is, was an amazing place. So you're around a lot of people that have really achieved a spiritual, a level of spiritual realization that's rare. Um, and that obviously really impacts you because you see these people as paradigms of what it means to be a good human being. So that was really helpful. The other thing I think is that it wasn't until I got there that I really learned how to write and I really learned how to think. Philosophy is great when it comes to learning how to think because you really must look at the assumptions and fundamental presuppositions of what's compelling you to say you know something. Um, and I think that a humanities education is so helpful for people in business. And it's really a shame, actually, that more people don't get it. You know, uh, my son is currently a professor and uh, teacher, and he said it's appalling how poorly young people write these days. And I always told my son something. I said, I learned long ago, son, that the best way to write well is to always write to express, not to impress. Mm. Very simple line, right? But too many people are trying to impress you all the time. And the most impressive thing in life is somebody that communicates clearly and effectively and succinctly, right? Like the no fluff communication, so to speak. So I learned all those things in graduate school. Um, and then, of course, I got out of graduate school and I decided I didn't want to be, my joke is I didn't want to be a rabbi, a minister, a priest, or a mullah. <laughs> so, and I realized that I wasn't cut out for scholastic life, that my activist temperament, my entrepreneurial temperament was too strong uh, for me to contemplate spending my life, you know, writing and working in a library. And so... I did go out and I started working on uh, books on American beliefs and values, but I chose to do um, anthologies. And then I did a big oral history where I interviewed people on their search for meaning in life. I traveled around the country interviewing people, and um, which is perfectly suited to my personality because I'm a very outgoing person. I love people. I'm fascinated by people. I'm not a very judgmental person. Um, like I find merit in people of all walks of life, all colors, um, that sort of thing. And it was very important to me to promote tolerance and understanding. And that was the big goal of my work. 
um, the books that I did. Um, and once again, that was a great formative experience for my business building catamarans and selling catamarans. I mean, it sounds crazy, but you know, when you talk about becoming a black belt in something or you start being a white belt, you know, someone early on mentored me and said, Phil, just remember something, whatever you're doing, do it as well as you possibly can. Even if you think that learning this subject has no value to you whatsoever, you're going to surprise yourself that one day, whatever you learned is going to come back to you. You're going to benefit somehow from that learning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've never been much for math. I'm not much for accounting. I'm probably the worst CEO in the world in that sense, because I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I'm not looking at in and out all day long. I'm not cutting costs. Uh, I always feel like the most important thing to do is like to focus on the excellence of your product, the excellence of your service, the excellence of your design, and the rest will take care of itself. Um, which of course isn't true. Uh, I mean, I think a good businessman is probably a lot more careful about the, the dollars and cents than I am, but focusing, you know, on excellence is obviously, you know, just the critical thing. And what, what happened is that after I worked on these books for many years and I was in my mid forties, I realized that writing was too sedentary for me and too solitary for me. And that my personality was so extroverted that I really should be out and about <laughs> working with people, talking to people, marketing sales it was much more suited to me. And I'd done a pretty good job selling my books and surviving in that very difficult environment. And um, so I went back to my passion of sailing. So I took a hiatus in, in a way from when I won the world championships to starting again at age of 45. And then I started a brokerage company selling used catamarans. And, you know, when you sell used boats, you don't control the commodity. The only thing you control is your understanding of of the differences between those commodities so that you can consult with people, right? So when you're a yacht broker, somebody comes to you and you're basically advising them. And I think my background in philosophy and religion really helped me because I always felt that the most important thing was to, to honorably serve other people, right? That, you know, if you look at you know, sales and spirituality could be could be seen by some people as completely polar opposite, right? Okay, because sales in a way is about you trying to get somebody to do something that you need them to do. Well, that's not a very spiritual thing to do, really. The spiritual thing to do is to listen to somebody, to care for somebody, to deeply and sincerely um, want to connect with them in a meaningful way, okay? And you know, to the extent that you can connect with people in a meaningful way and to the extent that you really truly do care about them, that's going to make you the best salesman in the world. But you have to be very mindful that you need to focus on the spiritual because um, that's going to make the difference. You know, you think about the great books on sales and stuff, Norman Vincent Peale, you know, um, all the greats, the, you know, the greatest salesman in the world and all that kind of stuff. If you go back and look at those books, many of them were from like the turn of the century or whatever. They all focus on just being a darn good human being. Like mm. know your product, <laughs> care for other people, look after them, and you can't but succeed, right? And, you know, in the brokerage business, uh, I came across a lot of people that didn't operate that way at all. 
Um, and there probably are some people that become business black belts who are not very ethical. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> That's true. Um, we know of plenty of them, right? Yep. Um, and, but I just think in the end, and this comes back to my philosophy of religion background, the philosopher Kierkegaard once said that the day of judgment is a summary court in perpetual session. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, to me, if I could translate it out of the philosophical, it means that if you have good values and you don't live by them, you won't sleep very well at night. Yeah. Okay. And you think about it, being good, living good is its own reward, right? You sleep better. You feel better about yourself. You just, you're just healthier all around. Right. Um, and so once again, I think, look, business is a constant struggle, right? Like you, we're building six different boats. We're juggling multiple customers, multiple products, right? There's always stuff going wrong. There's always issues. There's always, you know, challenges, right? And you've got to kind of keep your head on yourself and focus on the goodness of the people you work with and on the goodness of your customers, right? And listen to them and be sincerely trying to, to do a great job, to do good by people, right? Um, and I think that the only reason balanced catamarans got off the ground is because all the first buyers had bought used boats from me in the past. They had done business with me. So they weren't afraid of going into a new venture with me, right? Um, because nobody wants to buy the first few boats of a new company. They're worried. It's, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, growing a company requires a steady growth and confidence in, 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 uh, in your product, right? In your longevity, in the brand value that you're trying to create. And I feel that, you know, my other business really, really helped me in that regard. The other thing that I've learned about business is that say going from being a white belt to a black belt is when I started out in selling used catamarans, I was a white belt for a while in the sense that I didn't know all the catamarans. I hadn't sailed all the catamarans. I didn't know what all the problems were with those products. What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? What were their deficiencies? And then as you go on selling them over the years and you're talking to people, you start to learn, well, what people loved about a boat or didn't love about a boat. And so when it came time to design our own boats and came time to build our own boats, I had a really, really good idea of the market of where our product fit in the market and the kind of product that we were trying to create and, 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 and produce, right? Because there's always a market, right? I think the main reason people fail in business oftentimes is that they, are, they don't know the market well enough to produce the right product or scale the product properly when they're trying to enter the market, right? They can spend too much money um, designing the wrong product or they can design the right product, but not know how to get it to market, right? And then it's, it's, it's amazing to me, really. And, and what I would say is that, you know, when you look at great business people, probably people that are far more black belty than I am, um, they're much more prepared to uh, borrow money, use other people's money, leverage themselves, right? 
I've never been that kind of person. I'm, uh, I would say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm risk averse, but I don't really like borrowing money and being beholden to other people when possible. And therefore I, my business philosophy was to grow slowly and incrementally without becoming indebted. Right now, it's probably the case that had I taken on more investors and we could have grown faster than we have. On the other hand, by doing things incrementally, you don't risk the mistake of bringing the wrong product to the market, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you see a lot. Um, the other thing that I've learned is that while you want to do everything as well as you can, no matter what it is that you do, I'm also a person that's highly expert driven. Like nobody can be a black belt in everything, right? You you have to know what your strengths are and then you have to go find experts. You've got to find other black belts, right? That you've got to find a black belt in engineering if you're going to build a boat. You've got to find a black belt in design. You've got to find black belt builders and the builders have to find black belt laminators and black belt electrical installers. And, you know, the the... Now they may not all be entrepreneurs, but every single person plays an utterly vital role in producing a good product, right? And you know, what's so amazing about us building our boats in South Africa is that when you go to the floor and you see 500 workers, right? in these huge factories and these boats being built, there are people of every walk of life, color, shade, and religion working together, okay? And to me, that's just like utterly amazing and awesome. And it, 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 it so fills me with joy. And I mean, I don't want to go off the political map here, but I think that what they call being woke now, you know, they're, like there's a lot of criticism about being woke. Listen, if you're not woke, you shouldn't be in business. You need to be woke because if you're not woke and you can't work with with people of different colors, races, religions and creeds, if you can't respect those people, if you can't admire those people, if you don't see them as vital cogs in what you're doing, then why? Then I don't see how you can succeed. Right. And it's interesting. What's the opposite of woke? <laughs> asleep. Yeah. OK, you know, it, you, you're asleep. Right. You can't be asleep and. You know, the poet Kabir once said that he he said, if you are in love, then why are you asleep? Wake up. Hmm. Right. So wake up like you. If you're not awake, then you can't be in love. Right. And I'm not saying that business per se is love. You can't necessarily I can't love all those factory members, but I can certainly appreciate that I wouldn't have this business. It wouldn't be successful. It wouldn't. Our customers wouldn't be getting these products if the, if I wasn't woke enough to know that they're all important and that they need to be treated well and that they need to be in an environment that respects them and that gives them growth opportunities. Um, I mean, it is really interesting because here in the United States, we have very low unemployment, right? Right now. You go down to South Africa and there's 20% unemployment. Jeez. And the attitude that people have when they have a job there is they're so grateful, you know, and, and it, they're so grateful and one worker might be taking care of 10 other people. And, 
you know, it's a huge sense of responsibility. I mean, when I, when we first got going, you know, I, you, you, I go, boy, well, I, I better, I better keep bringing in orders here. All these people are relying on me. And that is really clearly the spiritual responsibility, the sort of emotional, spiritual responsibility of owning a business and driving a business and knowing that without the cash flow and without the revenue, without the sales, all these lives that depend upon you, you know, are at risk, right? Their livelihoods are at risk. Um, <laughs> that's kind of, so, you know, when I'm down in Oregon, I'm looking at these factories and it's kind of funny. Some of them call me Mr. Phil, you know, like, hey, Mr. Phil. And I, I go, wow, it, it, these people are relying on me to make these sales, you know? And so that's, you know, and that's where I, I think that being in business and doing good work, you know, you can take pride in, in creating jobs, you know, like, you know, in the Republican Party, they talk about job creators, job creators. Well, there's job creators in both parties, but um, job creation is a really satisfying thing, right? It, 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 it is. And I mean, the business black belts that I most admire are these enlightened people that, you know, slog through a bad financial situation to keep their workers going or, um, you know, people like Warren Buffett, you know, who, who recognize that once you have enough, you have enough, like now it's time to give back or Bill Gates doing what he's doing with, you know, vaccinations and things like that. I mean, to the guy, I find those people utterly admirable, you know, um, because they have enough and now they're just trying to give back. Um, yeah. So I don't know what else to tell you about being a black belt. If you have a question, fire away. Yeah. Well, Phil, that was unbelievable um, how well I think you summarized what has been an incredibly diverse path that you've taken. Um, <laughs> it's crazy, actually. <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing. And, um, and it's fascinating. And, you know, there's so many things I want to ask you, but I think something that you hit on that is so important. Um, and uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot more for you to say about it, but I'm going to just repeat it. And then you tell me um, if you do want to expand on it. But it is, you know, I've been in uh, IT sales for 25 years up until just recently when I came over to Veth Group. Um, and you did such a good job of summarizing what has been an absolutely fascinating adventure, which is your life. And, um, you know, you've been able to do so many things. You are, um, from my perspective, just kind of the definition of blessed. Um, but there's something that you hit on. I could ask you a lot of different things about your career. And, and I love how you highlighted, you know, what black belt means to you. Um, and one of the things you said, though, in my career, I've seen so many um, business people, business leaders, entrepreneurs uh, that have had great ideas, but they didn't understand the market. And they really, because they believed so strongly in what they were doing and in what they were building, the fatal flaw was not being open to what the market was telling them. Um, so... I mean, and, and I don't know if there's much more for you to say on that, but I wanted to highlight well, it. Yeah. So I'll tell you a couple things. Um, there's, there's a, 
producing a product that isn't competitive in the market, right? Because it's too expensive or the features of it are not so superior to the alternatives, right? Yeah. Or the brand or the cost of achieving the brand required to convince people that it's as good, if not better a product, right? Those, those things um, are, you know, obviously, but the other issue that hits a lot of people is timing, right? It's, it's some people just are ahead of their time. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that the timing is, is so, is so critical to, to all of it. Like when I started balance catamarans, I started it because I saw the market had moved too strongly in two different directions. Uh, there were companies that were building very slow, heavy boats for the charter trade. And there were companies that were building these whacked out sort of racing boats for, you know, guys that were looking for a Ferrari mm. and there wasn't something in the middle. And that's why I created balanced catamarans, but the market was maturing and growing. And I saw that there was a niche that we could fill right in that space. Um, and that niche has grown and grown. And of course, now that everybody sees our success, all of our competitors are trying to do the same things. And of course, all of the, your competitors end up copying every good thing that you do. And, but that's just, that's just, you know, business, right? It's yeah. nature. And, and, and it's, and obviously it, 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 that's why capitalism is a good thing because it creates all this innovation yeah. right? and, and, and copying and, you know, um, but yeah, it's, I remember years ago, uh, I knew this fellow and, and he got one of the first video phones, right? There was this new technology, you know, big clunky, heavy thing. And he's like, Phil, this is going to change the world and da, 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 da. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, but that technology just was changing so fast and he was left behind before he even got his patents. Right. And yeah, that that's a shame. And, um, I suppose that's why, you know, so many businesses start and fail. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know what the statistics are. I mean, my wife was in private equity for some years and I think she told me that like one out of only one out of 20 businesses are really, you know, kind of go. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, no. but, but, but it's the case though, that you take you in the IT business, like, Yeah. the critical thing, certainly in sales marketing is to know your product better than anybody and to believe so strongly that your product is the best, right? Like it's pretty easy for me to sell one of our catamarans because I feel so strongly yeah. that it's a great design and, and it's, and it's the best, which doesn't mean it's perfect. There's no perfect product, you know? And I mean, these products are, oh my goodness, how complicated these boats are. They're sailing around the world. They're, 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 they're steering themselves. They're motoring themselves. There's GPSs, there's cameras, there's autopilots, there's refrigerators, there's freezers, there's water makers, right? Can you imagine all the technology is out there bouncing around in the most corrosive environment on earth, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think a big part of our success going forward is going to be the customer service side, right? Like taking care of customers. And I think we Americans, by the way, are better at that than almost any other country. Hmm. You know, I think that it's kind of our in our DNA to believe that the customer is first and we're second. 
I don't think that's true with a lot of other countries. Um, I don't think their mentality is quite that way. Um, and I think you see that Americans have very high expectations, you know, of, of companies. Yeah, I like that. I, I would agree based on, you know, my experience, you're far more worldly than me, but that's definitely been uh, what I've seen. Now, there, there is something that I want to talk about as well. In a previous conversation that you and I had, um, you said something about balance that really struck me. Um, and uh, now the way I remember it uh, was that really balance is something you never achieve. Um, can you talk more about yeah. that? Yeah, well, because you can't because you can't achieve perfection yeah. either, right? And so a balance is more or less admitting that there's nothing perfect, right? You think? Well, I, I'm trying to the the statement goes: um, there's no such thing as a perfect balance. Only perfect balance makes perfect, right? <laughs> but that's you know that's a tautology, as we say in philosophy, right? Yeah. And you know, you know, I've been around in my life a lot of people that would be, you know, you call type A or perfectionists, right? And there's a really careful line, you know, that you have to walk because to do a good job in anything, you have to be pretty detail oriented and pretty focused and pretty committed to excellence. On the other hand, there's nothing is perfect and nothing will ever be perfect. And the, all the perfectionists that I've met in my life it is a kind of a slow death spiritually, if you think about it, because we'll look at it this way. Okay. From a spiritual perspective, God made the world. Okay. Or the great mysterious wider reality to which we move and live and have our being. Okay. However you wish to define the infinite, hmm. the infinite is perfect right now. The universe is moving as it's supposed to be now. It, it doesn't seem perfect at all when I watch the news and I see that everything's going on, but it's doing what it's doing for whatever reason. Okay. The challenge is for human beings to try and make it more perfect. Right. You know, I don't think God just like started the wheel and told us to, you know, yeah. and let us <laughs> roll. You know, if we don't have an incentive to get better, be better, you know, strive for goodness. Right. Then, you know, it's a problem, but, but I think of myself right now, I think I'm a little in out of balance right now, only because the pandemic kind of put all of us a little bit out of balance. Yeah, We've lost our, we, we're only now just regaining our social lives. We're only now just regaining our kind of travel lives. I mean, I used to travel, you know, 200,000 miles a year with connecting with my partners and, you know, living on, living on Zoom and, and being locked in your house and, um, I think, I think the world is well, a little out of balance right now and we're trying to imbalance. And as we talk about this, we have this war in Ukraine that's taking place, which is really just a horrible thing. Yeah. And, you know, no, there's, there's no perfect world, no perfect space. But if you think I, I throw this back, I mean, just in the Jewish tradition, there's the Sabbath. Okay. So six days a week, you're supposed to be busting your ass to bring about the kingdom of God. Yeah. Okay. You're supposed to be working really hard to, to make the world ready for the second coming. Okay. You get one day a week 
to sit back and luxuriate in the fact that the world is fine just as it is, right? The Sabbath, okay? So that's interesting, right? I mean, that's so different from, say, Eastern traditions. In Eastern traditions, the world is always perfect and revolving and changing, and there's no there's no specific day when you're supposed to be working towards becoming better. There's no specific day when you're supposed to be saying that God is in everything, right? And it's... Well, in philosophy, we call it a deontological tradition, not a teleological tradition. But in the Western tradition, we're focused on improvement and getting better, right? Ever since the fall, we're trying to get better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's, um, gosh, there is no perfect, there is no perfect balance. And uh, we strive for it. We work towards it. I think we need to be forgiving of ourselves for being imperfect. Yeah. Right. Um, Not too forgiving. I mean, that's really the challenge. If you think about it, if you have values and standards to which you believe, right. The only way to feel badly about yourself is to live below the standards that you achieved. Right. Um, So either don't set really crazy high standards so you can be a horrible person, which is terrible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> or set relatively high standards and try really hard to live by them. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's business can be fun though. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I digress, but, uh, you know, it's the camaraderie of business. That's awesome. Like I know probably when you worked in it, you had your mates and you had your friends and you yeah. had conferences and you, yep. I mean, I think it must be hard. Like this pandemic has a lot of people working from home and outsourced and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like I'm so happy that, you know, we're back and I can see Maureen every day and we can talk about things and I can be talking to my brokers and we're getting together and we're going to boat shows again. And wow, what a difference it makes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, we are uh, meant to be in community with each other. Right. Um, right. And and video is nice. I mean, in that it's uh, it's better than just the the old way. Right. Which you and I both remember when phones were plugged into walls and and, uh, you know, but uh, there is there's nothing that can replace the in-person energy. Um, We all all of us need to feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know. You think about the difference between walking into a party where you know everybody. Hey, Phil. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? Hugs and stubs. You you immediately know you're going into a place of acceptance and belonging. Imagine opening the door and going to into a party where you know nothing. Yeah. You can go in there and feeling good and stuff, but it's very different than knowing instantly the moment you walk through the door you are you belong. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, the greatest tragedy, I think, in human life is how much we don't expand our sense of belonging beyond our clan or our religion or our tribe or our party. I mean, I think that, you know, I look at the divisions that are taking place in America now on so many levels, politically and whatever, and it's such a shame because you realize that all of us want to experience a sense of belonging and we're all trying to do the same thing, raise good children, have good families, look after our friends and, and family. Right. Like, um, and 
you know, when I was working with Dr. Jane Goodall on that book about her life and chimpanzees, we, you know, you learn about how a chimpanzee family that lives together doesn't violate the family. They don't do anything uh, within the family that is horribly abusive to each other generally. But if they cross another family from a different neighborhood, they can behave very violently towards mm. them, right? And they call that outgrouping, okay? In-grouping and outgrouping, right? And, um, you know, <laughs> a spiritually realized person, in my opinion, is a person that has the widest sense of group, right? The, who connects with the broadest sense of humanity, right? And is able to experience and share compassion with as many people as possible, right? Yeah. Um, what creates violence? What creates anger? What creates hatred? It's generally a person that doesn't feel a deep sense of belonging except within a small clan and maybe to justify that clan's belief adopts outgrouping positions against another group, right? Like they're, they're bad people. They're, they're this, they're that, whatever. And then that's what enables them to justify doing horrible things yeah. to, to other people. Um, Boy, you've really got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my job, Phil. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I think, again, it's um, because of your background in philosophy and, um, you know, your deep understanding of these different positions and, um, you know, uh, outlooks and also cultures. It, it really does, I think, color your ability to see the world from multiple angles. And I think that's so important. And it gets right back to what I was saying before, you know, what I highlighted and, you know, to kind of start this, um, what we've brought, I think, full circle here is, um, you know, the fact of being aware of what the market actually wants, right? Not what you think it needs. It's what the market wants. And, and it's the same thing that you're talking about with, you know, really expanding beyond your clan, it's, it's about curiosity. You know, one of the things that, um, having done this now for a little while, you know, I'm, I don't know how many episodes I've, uh, recorded maybe 20, let's say mm -hmm. without a doubt, the common thread between every black belt that I've talked to is curiosity. Another thing that's, that's relatively common also is humility, right? That, um, most people who have been really successful are wise in the sense that they know what they don't know and they want to find other people who know those things right just like you said right a a, a black belt engineer and um you know essentially black belts surround themselves with other black belts absolutely i yeah humility is huge and you know what i love the saying it's only painful to be humbled when you aren't humble <laughs> right yeah. That's right. So good. Yeah. But the flip side of that, sadly, is Winston Churchill's quip that he was a very humble man, but then again, given his achievements, he had every reason to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's another really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, there's and there is one more thing that I want to touch on. Um, yeah. Which is you know really interesting. Because it doesn't happen very often, you have um, sold out your your boats uh, through. I don't. Is it twenty twenty six? The end of twenty twenty five. Yeah, we're some many models are sold out into twenty twenty six and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So what's that like? 
you know, that makes for a really unique situation from a business perspective. Um, most people don't have to, I mean, because, you know, and, and when you told me that before, you made a really important um, uh, point, which is that doesn't mean I can rest on my laurels. And even more importantly, what I have to do is be you know, hyper-focused on servicing the customer, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just can you talk a little bit about that? And listen, when you're building boats like we do, these are complex, big boats. Our job is straightforward. We want every single boat to just get better and better and better. Yeah. We want to listen constantly to our customers and keep making them better. The technology will be changing for some of the componentry. We need to keep up with that. We need to service and care for the customers uh, globally because the kind of boats that we build well, can end up anywhere in the world. They'll end up in the Cook Islands. They'll end up in the Tuamotos. They'll end up in, you know, Turkey or wherever. And, um, you know, so our job is to be able to, you know, look after those customers. And then the reality is, is that, you know, and I think every business faces this problem right now. Those of us in business now that have successful businesses, which were um, influenced strongly by the pandemic, a lot of recreational businesses, right? Travel businesses now are, are they have more demand than they can, yeah. they can, they can fulfill just like we have more demand. Um, you also have to be careful that, you know, in two or three years, the demand may slacken and you have to be very careful that once again, if you scale your production with the expectation that that demand is going to increase or whatever, and it doesn't, you can be looking at thousands of square feet of factory space and whatever, and every business has to decide, you know, um, what's the level of production that we can produce and produce a quality product and, and be satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, fortunately, you know, uh, it's probably not a good trait for a, a, a deep seated entrepreneur to say that they have enough, but you know, yeah. I, I certainly have enough. So I'm more, I'm content that if we can just look after the people that we have and take care of them and grow maybe incrementally, that that's a lot better thing than trying to grow massively and end up, because remember, if you grow massively and quickly in any business, the chances are you're going to have quality problems. It's just, it's going to happen. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's just going to happen. And, and also you look at, there are a lot of supply chain disruptions now, as everybody knows in business. Right. And uh, you know, limited supplies of certain things and you know manufacturing is a very challenging business yeah i, I think it's a very challenging business and because you look at all these factories that literally when the covid hit they just sort of stopped producing because they figured nobody wants our product now all of a sudden everybody wants a product and they can't produce it right like yeah that's what's so weird about this inflationary period it's it's very demand driven right yeah how much um has supply chain affected your your business well i mean we've been delayed in getting some carbon fiber when we need it um, from due to shipping um we've seen significant inflation yeah. in a lot of uh, a lot of things right and you know for businesses that are selling expensive items like ours under fixed contracts um you know if our costs drive up dramatically and inflation drives up dramatically, that can be very, you know, that can be risky. I mean, you could lose all profitability. Yeah. Right? Um, we also have currency risks. 
everybody that does business internationally has currency, you know, currency risks. So a significant amount of our boats are funded in a South African currency, and yet we sell them in dollars. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, we hedge ourselves and we're careful and, 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 and that's a part of being safe and growing in a measured way, right? Yeah. That's also the advantage of not carrying a lot of debt is that, you know, if it does get a little rough or rocky at some point, you know, down the road, you can, you know, you can ride it out. Yeah. Think of all the businesses that had to ride it out over this pandemic. Yeah. My goodness. Look at the airline industry. So they went from like dead stop to full bore. Yeah. Right. I saw American Airlines like, you know, their their demand is like 25 percent higher than it's ever been. And, you know, everybody's just wanting to travel again. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, you know, you, you highlighted some things that I think are are so uh, difficult in this current climate that we're in, but it really causes the best to survive, right? I mean, that's the other thing about, um, you know, I know, for instance, in the IT security business that, you know, I just came from, there almost needs to be a bit of a washout because there's been so much money thrown at these companies and there's like this frenzy afoot. And so everybody can survive because no one really has to be held accountable uh -huh. or, or be responsible. Right. So that's the other uh -huh. thing of the, you know, the economic cycle, I feel like um, in that industry, there really needs to be a recession, right? Because just like the late nineties, when I started my career, that really was, you know, the strong survived and the weak didn't. And, and that was healthy. Um, and well, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously some companies die, even if they make a good product because they've leveraged themselves too much. Yeah, right. Yep. Just, right. Yep. And that that can happen. I mean, there's so many ways a business can fail. Yeah. Right? There's so many different ways it can fail. Um, yeah, I don't know. I You're right. I've been very lucky. But look at me, I'm, on, I'm 66 years old, right? I've had all these different careers. Um, and I would say overall, yeah, I've been lucky. I've been really blessed. But um, there are, are many people that, I mean, my business is a boutique business. You know, it's a smaller business, right? I mean, it's, I, I forget what our gross revenue is. I mean, it's, it's certainly millions and, you know, I think it's, I don't know, 30, 50, 60 million years. I don't know. It's a high number, Yeah. but it's kind of meaningless in a way. Like, you know, I guess business people, they like to talk about numbers now they grow. But remember, we don't have investors. We're not a publicly traded company. So I don't really, I'm not under pressure from private equity. I'm not under pressure from shareholders. I'm, yep. you know, exactly. I'm only under pressure from our customers to honor the, you know, to try and honor and fulfill the promises that we've tried to keep and make. Right. That's, yeah. that's it. So in, in closing, what do you like to do in your free time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an outdoor person, so I like to, I like to row. I like to cycle. I like uh, to hike. Um, and I like to sail. Mm. I, I like to do all those things in, in when I have spare time. And of course, if it's a rainy day and I can't be outside, I, I like to read a good publication, a good book. You know, I, I subscribe to the Atlantic and I, I read a lot of different, you know, 
quality newspapers. I, you know, nothing. I, I like nothing more than to sit down with a true newspaper, a paper paper. I'm an old school guy. <laughs> right. A cup of coffee. Me too. Yep. <laughs> and read a good editorial in the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or, you know, some quality publication. And yeah, I mean, my wife and I love to cycle. So we're outdoor people. We just want to, you know, be outdoors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And travel. I mean, my wife and I are inveterate travelers. I mean, I've been to, I think, 60 countries in my life. It's Jeez, crazy. That is. That's how a... much I, well, my business drove a lot of that, but um, I'll go anywhere. You know, I'm, uh, I'm so fascinated by human beings and, I mean, you know, how do you learn a religion? I mean, you, you want to learn Buddhism, you know, you go to South India or you go to Thailand, right? Yeah. You, you, you know, you can walk around and walk into temples and smell the incense and see the people. And, you know, you really, you can pick up a lot when you're traveling and the cuisines and, you know, um, yeah, we can't wait to start traveling. Again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to France next week, actually, for a first boat show in Europe since the pandemic. Well, that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So what, Great. what's the best way for people to find you and follow you, Phil? if they want to, uh, you know, kind of keep in touch and see what you're up to. Gosh, you know, the website balancecatamarans.com is kind of where, you know, we are, but I, I know we've got Instagram and Facebook and all these other uh, sites. I'm not involved in those things. Right. I, I really do not engage much in social media myself. I just don't have the time yep. to follow it, but I know there's all kinds of things that come out every week and, you know, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty old school. Like I like people to email me. I'm an email guy. I need a big keyboard to answer my yeah. emails. I don't want to sit there punching out stuff on my little phone. Right. Right. That makes two of us. Um, oh, does it? Yeah. 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 But the no, fact that, so I think, Oh no, go ahead. I was just saying that, uh, you know, the fact that you have Facebook and Instagram and a website, those are great places. Even if you're not the one, um, responsible for them, like most black belts, just like you said, you found black belts in the social media arena that take care of that for you. But it's really cool that people can go and, and find out what Balanced Catamarans is up to on, you know, those different social channels. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a LinkedIn page, which I don't ever visit. And every once in a while I look and I go, oh, well, this person says they know me or not. I know. And I, I don't know where people find the time for all this stuff. Honestly, yeah. I really don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, talk about being a black belt. I think you probably really have to be very careful in this day and age about how you manage all your media, your emails, your stuff to set some kind of a, a protocol or a program. So you're focusing only on what you yep. should be doing, right? Absolutely. Managing that. I mean, is I always a have a to do, I have a simple to do list and, and that I prioritize. You yeah. know, this is this week. These are important things. These things can wait and all right. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you so much. This has been an yeah. absolute blast. Um, Great. You're such an interesting guy. And, um, you know, really thank you for taking the time. And, and, you know, you've hit on some things that have just made me think. And that's why I love doing this, because talking um, yeah. with wise people like you always just broadens my horizon. So, um, Phil Berman, Balanced Catamarans, thank you so much. Let's stay in touch. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dave. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.